Yassis, and welcome to the Greece Travel Secrets podcast. Your host is the founder of the Greece Travel Secrets website, Sandy Pappas, and she's joined by a variety of guests covering all sorts of topics about visiting Greece and making the most of your Greek odyssey. Hey, radio. So this morning I'm joined all the way from Melbourne in Australia by the lovely Alona Bust, who I think, did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, it was close enough. <laughs> who is not only one of my wonderful moderators on my Facebook group, which is um, called Greece Travel Planning, but she's also by trade an archaeologist, which just happens to be very handy for me. Um, Alana, you are, I think, working or, or actually you, you specialise in uh, Aboriginal, Indigenous, Australian, Torres Strait Island archaeology. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct, Sandy. Okay, but I'm sure like most archaeologists in the world, you probably grew up with a, um, a fascination and passion for history. And I know you've been to Greece. So uh, we're going to talk today about your travels there and what you came across and, and uh, hope, hopefully you can share some of your great stories about some of those incredible sites in Greece. Um, okay, so uh, when did you? When was it you were in Greece? So I was in Greece for six weeks in 2019. Oh, that's quite a long time too. So many people only go for a week or two. Yeah, so when I plan my travel, I kind of do it the reverse to other people. I decide what I want to see and how long that's going to take and then I save up enough leave from work that I can do the trip that I really want to take. Yeah, good idea. And I guess being a fellow Aussie, you understand how far it is to go and what a mammoth, mammoth effort really it can be to yeah. even just get there in the first place. So you've got to make the most of it, mm-hmm. right? You've got to try and see as much as possible. Okay, so let's let's talk about what you got up to. I assume you probably started in Athens? I did. Um, I had a bit of a different Greek trip to most people. Uh, I knew there were a lot of ancient sites that I wanted to see, so I planned it by pulling up the map of World Heritage Places on the UNESCO website and pinpointing okay. all of the ones I wanted to go to. So yeah, nice. I only visited the beach incidentally in my trip. Um, I did go a couple of times in a couple of places, but... My feeling was that we have really excellent beaches in Australia, um, but what we don't have is this these amazing monumental sites of this age and yeah. intactness. Yeah. So that was what my yeah. trip was really planned around. Yeah, we've got such a young country here. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's such a beautiful country, but we don't have that, that level of history, of course, unless you get out to Uluru and, yeah. and some of the other so amazing... Um, the history of Aboriginal people in Australia is 10 times older than the pyramids. This is amazing, old, oldest country in the world. But Aboriginal people didn't build big monumental cities. So it's really hard yeah. to kind of get that connection to that sense of past in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, you can certainly get that in Europe yep. and, and most definitely in Greece. I guess, I mean, I, you and I were chatting a bit earlier about um, mythology mm-hmm. and, and what we remember as children. And I remember sitting there with those encyclopedias reading that book. I can't remember what it was called. Um, but it had this particular section. I think it was on the seven ancient wonders of the world mm-hmm. and then the new, you know, there's different lists for the new the new wonders of the world but I just couldn't stop looking at um the roads the colossus of roads and how big that was supposed to be and I don't know that really empowered uh interest in me um about history 
And then it wasn't, but it wasn't really until I went to Greece that I truly understood, I guess, the impact it's had on not just Greece, but us all. These beliefs, right, they shaped the world as we know it now. And we talked about how mythology and history are very, very closely connected, given that so many of those archaeological sites were probably temples or places of worship to a particular god or deity. And even beyond that, a lot of the most famous ancient sites that we plan our trips around were political centres as well. So Delphi Delphi on the mainland and Delos, which is close to Mykonos, were both uh, what they called treasuries. So all the different city-states of Greece would send their wealth to be held there because those sanctuaries by custom would never be affected during war. So even if Athens went to war, it would know its treasury was safe at Delphi. So they were really deeply intertwined in the political culture of Greece as well as the religious and social culture. Mm, I think there was, I can't remember the number, is it 21 city-states in ancient Greece? Don't ask me that. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I could be making that up. It was quite a lot. And I'm I'm sure it shifted over time as well as different states were conquered. or um, for sure. And the the Ottomans came along or or the, the Romans. Something I only learned quite recently, actually, because it, it did have more city-states than what was typical of a lot of countries at the time, was because of the geography. So I don't think a lot of people understand how mountainous Greece is. There's actually more mountains in Greece, apparently, than there are in Switzerland. Or is it Austria? Austria. But because the mountains made it so challenging to move around, they it was easier from an administrative perspective i guess to just you know control your local area and appoint a local king or whoever was in charge in that city state yeah and that huge geographic diversity leads to the amazing richness and diversity of culture that we still see today and in ancient times you know we all have this image of the greek warriors from the movie 300 they're all foot soldiers they've got the armor and the spears those kind of warriors were known as hoplites and they were the armored upper class soldiers of the southern area Mm -hmm. of greece mostly the peloponnese but in the north around what was called macedonia the city of thessaloniki uh, they've got some big open plains there and horsemen Mm -hmm. became a very important part of their army around the time of bit before Alexander the Great. So And then and then you've got the sea as well. So all of the islands dispersed yes. a lot of people geographically as well. Athens was the most important naval power for a thousand years. And to the extent that the south of what is now Italy was Greece. It was known as Magna Graecia or Greater Greece. Um and it was a not just a Greek colony, it was it was culturally, socially Along with the eastern side of Turkey. in 100%, yeah. A lot of that kind of what we call uh, the Near East was was heavily mm, Greek. In that Asian minor um, area. Yes. Which has only really changed quite recently when you think about uh, yeah. the War of Independence and and um, mm-hmm. you know the more significant things that happen in modern modern times. So let's talk about um, Athens. I'm, I'm assuming you went to the Acropolis. Yes, I did. I did. Tell me a little bit about what, I don't know, what did you think? Well, it's amazing. I mean, there's no no denying the fact that, you know, it's often crowded. It can be very, very hot, especially in summer. It is touristified, as a lot of Greece is, but none of that matters. It's up above the city. 
these incredible views, the sun shining on the white marble and these buildings that they're so enormous, but they're so beautiful. Mm. And it just gives you this incredible sense of what it must have been like, you know, walking up in your sandals and your toga mm. and um, especially if you take if you take the footpath up, like the long way up around the outside of the the mountain, I guess it is, hill that the Acropolis is on top of, that was a uh, sort of a mini religious pilgrimage for the Greeks and there's a lot of shrines along the way. So you can really get that experience of the Greek person approaching the Acropolis. Which I think you can do best from the entry that's outside the museum um, yeah. rather than the main entry where all the tour buses mm-hmm. go. And just for readers listening in, there is a, a full guide to the Acropolis on the website at um, greasetravelsecrets.com. And it has some tips for, as you said earlier, avoiding the heat, avoiding the crowds, the best gate to enter mm-hmm. uh, where you're unlikely to get lines. So that that there's some good tips there. Yeah. I think the thing is too, I, I mean, you're right, it's so impressive. It sits in the middle of the city and the whole city actually circles the Acropolis. This is why I laugh when people say, my hotel's close to the Acropolis. Every hotel is close to the Acropolis. Oh, they all are. <laughs> I stayed in a tiny little pension in the city and out my tiny little window I could still see the Acropolis. I, we always amazing. splurge yeah. a bit if we can and try and get something with an Acropolis view because waking up and opening the curtains or the doors and seeing that there is just mind-blowing. I just I, I get shivers every time. Um, but I don't think people really pay, perhaps appreciate how integral it was you know, part of life for everyday mm-hmm. people in ancient Greece, particularly men. Um, I recently read a book, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read it, called The Last of the Wine. Um, it's not, very good. It. It's very, very well researched. It was actually published in the 50s, I think, and it's about a young man growing up in ancient Greece and it's it's quite mm-hmm. uh, eye-opening and also very informative but they talk about constantly going up to the high city um almost daily you know whether to Mm -hmm. go and listen to someone or to worship or to participate Mm -hmm. in something it was really yeah so there's kind of two parts to it the acropolis what we think of as the acropolis with the parthenon is it's the temple and it's that that was the purpose of that part of the acropolis it was all the most important temples for the city of Athens in ancient times and um, it's got a really good story associated with that area and why the city was founded there which is that the Athenians had uh, the city of Theseus they decided to found a city there and they were trying to decide on who their patron deity would be and how to name the city and both Poseidon the god of the sea and Athena uh, the goddess of strategy and a few other wisdom and a few other things uh, just (laughs) would, would quite like to be involved so the Athenians said to them, well, what have you got for us? Why should yeah. we choose you? And Poseidon gave them a spring. But because he's the god of the sea, the spring was salt water. So it wasn't much use. But Athena gave them the olive tree, which, as many of you probably already know, is the foundation of Greek economy even to this day. It's the wood, the shade, the oil, the olives themselves. And the, there is still a very large olive tree growing at the Acropolis, and the myth is that it's the same olive tree that Athena gave to them to found the city, and that's why the the city was founded around that. That's a great story, um, and that's why the city is called one of the many, many Athens. great stories about <laughs> mythology. It may it may take a while to get into it, and it's very fluid, right? Mythology can change 
mm-hmm. a lot, depending on who was talking at the time. But yeah, it's great to, I mean, that's the history too. That's the history of yeah. Greece. Yeah. But then there's another hill right next to the Acropolis, and I forget the name of the hill, but there's a temple to Mars on it, and there's also a site called the... Yes, so that's uh, the Philippus... Philipp- I'm going to... I always want to say Philippusos because it's the <laughs> Australian tennis player, right? But I think it's Philippuso. Philippuso, yeah. So the Pnyx is there, and that was where the Athenian citizens who could vote would come to hear arguments about laws or whether to go to war or not or the direction of the city, where they would take it in the future, taxes, all those sorts of things. And citizens were only men and they were only men that owned property. No slaves or women could be citizens. But it it really is the first, the earliest form of democracy we have because people from different sides of each argument would get up on the stone at the Pnyx, which if you stand on, it's still there today. The acoustics are The views are amazing. And they would speak, mm. oh, the views are amazing, speak in just your normal talking voice like we are now, and mm-hmm. thousands of people could hear them. And then people would just shout in agreeance or disagreeance with the different proposals. And this is, this is really for the modern world where we can trace mm. our democratic origins. Well, most, most people in or the world. Or everyone in the world. Um, and and yeah. under that hill, actually on an aside, is where you can see Socrates uh, prison so whether or not he actually yes i know it's controversial Probably not actually. but it is, sold. <laughs> it is on many tourists it's a good routes, story though and uh there is certainly a cave there that was used for something so well there probably was used for keeping prisoners but not until quite a long time yeah, after yeah. the death of socrates yeah but well, it gives again, you an impression optional. absolutely <laughs> um okay so yeah, what yeah. about what else did you get up to in Athens? uh so there's a pass in Athens for yep. the Acropolis and six sites. So I bought that pass and yep. went to went to all of them because that's what I'm interested in. Um, of course, it includes the Acropolis, both the Greek and Roman Forum and Hadrian's Library, mm-hmm. uh, the Temple of Olympian Zeus, which I think is on yep. most yep. tourist trails anyway. That's actually the largest temple ever built in Greece itself. So there are bigger ones in Italy, but that was the largest one ever built in Greece. It's sadly not many, not many uh, columns are left, are there? Was seven or something? No, no. But the ones that are there, you can really the, get the that scale, sense yeah. of just the enormous size of it. But then there are a couple of other sites on it that not everyone makes it out to, and mm-hmm. one is the School of Aristotle, which is where yeah. Aristotle set up his philosophy school, and the other okay. one is Keramikos, which was the first cemetery of Athens. It's amazing. There's there's different kinds of burial all the way from the what we think of as probably the ancient Greek stele and uh, mm-hmm. like mausoleums all the way back to little mound tombs with just right. dry stone walls around them. Nobody knows who's buried in a lot of these. And there's a tiny, tiny little museum there that has this amazing uh, display of wow. ostracism tablets, which I'm not sure if you know. So the, the tradition of ostracism was the people of Greece, if they disliked one of the rulers who were known as, they were called tyrants, but they were the elected rulers of Greece, of Athens, the state. If they decided they'd had enough of him, they would have a vote on whether to get rid of him right. or not. And that was known as ostracism. And so you would write, they would take scrap pieces of pottery and just carve away some of the glaze mm-hmm. saying yes or no, to ostracise this person. And then that person would be banished from the entire state of Athens. And would he have had to have done something pretty bad? So it's a bit like an impeachment. 
Not necessarily. Oh. It was very much at the whim of the people. It was very political. Um, you know, a war went wrong or he passed a tax people yeah. really didn't mm. like or something like that. Um, and you can sit, there's a whole collection of these little tiny fragments of broken pottery that were mm. basically votes in an impeachment. It's quite a, it's quite the a early justice cool thing system, whether it was <laughs> fair or not remains to yes. be seen. We'll never know. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty clear that Athens is home to some incredible um, sites. The other thing I'll talk about, though, just quickly, is that I went to Athens at the end of my trip. So the yep. National Archaeological Museum is at Athens, which is amazing. And it was good to see it at the end of yep. my trip because I'd been to all these sites individually. And then a lot of the finds from these yes. different sites were all collected in one place. So you're seeing these, these places in bits and pieces and then you come to the National Museum and see them in a long history yeah. telling the whole story of Greece and that was really good to see it at the end. I think that's a really good tip. Um, I mean, I think, as you know, we tend to recommend people do Athens at the end anyway. Yes. They have to be back in the city or, or, or nearby at least one night before their international flight mm -hmm. home. You can't rely on the weather or unexpected events that might occur if you're out on the islands. And if you're going to be there for one day, you may as well be there for three days. So do it all yes. at the end. We do that as well. Um, I also prefer to just you know, get it over with and get out to the islands straight up. And I like to do my shopping in Athens and that's at the end mm -hmm. so I don't have to drag it all around Greece with me. So, no, that's a great tip. And Athens actually has more museums than any other city per capita mm -hmm. in uh, Europe um, and they are exceptionally good. I'm, I'm always impressed. Yeah. I mean, hats off to them given that they've been through quite, quite a few economic challenges yeah. but they've really, really taken care of their artefacts and 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. Athens was well known for letting it, or Greece was well known for letting a lot of its antiquities and ancient sites be quite damaged because they didn't have the money to spend. Yeah. But the, to the credit of the Greek people, they have spent a lot of money on it in the last few decades. And now because of that... I think the Olympics helped. The Olympics helped a lot. But because of that, there are now real talks happening about the Parthenon marbles being returned, yeah, which is really yeah, I... exciting. I think that is a, a very genuine mm -hmm. possibility. And there's been a few minor sort of artefacts mm -hmm. returned just in recent months. So hopefully they are not far yeah. behind. Did you get down to the Temple of Poseidon? I did. I took an afternoon trip down there. So it's beautiful. There are a few... Lord Byron apparently carved his name on one of the columns because yeah, it was yeah. his favourite place in He got around that guy. He, he really got around. But it's also... It's also Athens was a great naval power and for the Athenian sailors coming home, when you could see Cape Sunion, when you could see the Temple of Poseidon, that's when you knew you were in Athenian waters. You were safe. You were home. So mm. it has this really mm. important meaning to the city of Athens. Mm. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's got a very spiritual feel about it's, it, particularly people go down there for the sunset, but it, there is an energy down there I can't describe. I'm not religious, yeah. but there's something going on. Well, it is a much older site than that actual temple. Just if you walk away from the temple a little bit, away from the coast, literally two minutes down the track, there's um, you, it's quite hard to see, but there's some more bare areas of ground with li little stones laid all around them. And these were the worship sites of the ancestor cults that predated wow. the Greek religion that we all know yeah. about. So it's been, it's utterly spectacular, the headland looking over the sea, mm and the colour of the ocean and the rocks and mm, it's the islands completely stunning. Um, 
and it has the Greeks obviously recognize that just like we do and it's been a really important site for a very long time probably on yeah, as you say for multiple reasons I'm actually heading there I'm taking a group there in um May so we've got a number of things to do down down that way uh, it's a great half day half day trip it's wonderful and if you're not on a tour if you don't have a private driver don't let it stop you I took the public yep. bus it was very easy um, the views from the bus are great on the way down and on the way back you can and they go late enough for you to have dinner and watch the sunset down there and then come back to Athens for yeah, the night. Yeah. Car's a good idea too if you're staying in that area is, on the Riviera is. or something I wouldn't drive mm-hmm. in the city in the in the center of Athens no no okay so uh where did you head well so you went there last where did you go first first I went to Corinth okay um Corinth is on the mainland it's just, just? of course <laughs> there's a very famous Corinth canal um which Corinth is on the other side of so Technically, it's separated from the mainland of Greece now, the Peloponnese, but um, geologically, it's a peninsula. Yeah. So it is on the mainland, um, and it's it's been an important place all through Greek mm. history. It was one of the great city states of Greece, and you can see the ancient city of Corinth on the plains. Um, and up behind that is Acrocorinth, mm-hmm. up on the mountain, which is a really incredible fort that was occupied right through to modern times by the Ottomans and the Venetians and the various occupying powers mm-hmm. of Greece. But it's also, it's a really great spot to kind of see some of the other sites from mm. in the Western Peloponnese. Mm. And the town of Corinth is, look, it's not flash, but we had some great meals there and it has a wonderful waterfront. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's a very interesting place. I mean, we're talking an hour from Athens, right? So it's very not close. an arduous day trip. It's quite quite viable. Um, we offer it again through um, our partners, Cat Taxi. They take people out there. You can do it as part of maybe some of the other Peloponnese um, spots, which mm-hmm. I think we're, we're going to get to in a minute. Yep. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people stop maybe at the canal, get their photo taken, um, because that canal itself is pretty special and is a great feat of engineering for its time. It's one of the modern wonders yeah yeah possibly and you could do some bungee jumping if you're up to that I'm certainly not going to be doing that not, not me <laughs> but I know lots of people yeah, do and there's a couple of towns around there too that uh, a lot of people are very popular um holiday destinations particularly for Greeks but yes I think it's worth spending a couple of days in that mm-hmm. whole area because there is so much to see and do people just mm-hmm. don't realize um particularly if you mm-hmm. do that Argo or Argoli part of the Peloponnese, yeah. which I think might be where you you yeah. might may have headed next. Yeah. So I think I I visited a number of sites there. There, there the thing in this part of Greece is that there's a site every five minutes on the road, yeah. but most of them are quite small. There's not a lot to see. Um, so unless you're very interested in the archaeology, mm. you can probably mm. skip most of them. There's over one one thousand archaeological sites in Greece, so yeah, does not <laughs> surprise me. And most I'm most actually people, surprised it's not more than that. I don't know how many do most people go to three or four, three or four, yeah. yeah. But in that area of the Western Peloponnese, there are two, possibly three places I think are must sees, which are Epidavros, mm-hmm. and Mycenae, and Tiryns. Yeah. Now. I say possibly three because Mycenae and Tiryns are very similar. They were built at the same time by the same people. So 
if you only wanted to see one, I think that's totally reasonable and I only went to Mycenae. Yeah, and I would say the same. Plus, you drive right past Turin's when you go into the beautiful town of Nafplio, my favourite oh, town. I know, amazing. my favourite. And you drive literally right past it. You could stop, you could run in, you could probably see it in 20, mm-hmm. 20 minutes. It's a pretty small site. Mm-hmm. But it is one of the sites where Hercules did one of his 12 labours. Yes. Right? So, yeah. yeah. So the, the sites of Mycenae and Turin's are amazing because... They're so old that the people that we usually think of as ancient Greeks thought of them as ancient yeah, Greeks. Right. Yeah, So it's about 1,000 to 1,500 years before Athenian classical Greeks. Yeah. And these are the people. So Mycenae is the main country that went to war in the Trojan War yep. in the Iliad and the Odyssey. Yeah. So King Agamemnon was the king of Mycenae, and at the city of Mycenae, you can see what is thought to be, or might be, again, it's the, the myth is a little bit slippery, his tomb. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's really incredible simply for its age alone. Mm. But people love those stories about Troy. Yes. Yeah, they're wonderful. It's worth pointing out that it was his brother's wife, Helen, who was, I don't know whether she did it willingly or she was snatched away, but Paris of of Troy took her and uh, hence the war commenced. Yes. So So, if if, if that gets people there, then great. So be it. Yeah. And it's the it's much more monumental stone construction than we see in the classical Greeks. So the classical yeah. Greeks had this very elegant way of building architecture. Mycenae, you go and you see the walls and they're these three metre by three metre irregular blocks of stone that you just can't believe humans yeah, moved car. around without mechanical assistance. Amazing, yeah. And um, let's talk about epi- Epidavros. Well, Epidavros, Epidoros, that's different again, right? This was a sanctuary rather than a temple or, or a city or a civilization. Yeah. So Epidavros, oh, I never know the right the right I pronunciation. Know. I think in English <laughs> it's got a V and in Greek it doesn't. Yeah. Epi- so we'll go with, I'll go with the Greek one, Epidoros. Um, it was a sanctuary to, well, it's a bit confused because Apollo was the god of healing, but in later classical Greek times he's... Uh, son Asclepius took over that role in a great a lot of the mythology. So um, Asclepius may or may not have been an actual person who was very, very skilled at medicine. Um, mm-hmm. It's I, I personally think it's more likely he's kind of an amalgamation of a bunch of different doctors around a time when medicine was becoming a bit more formalised in Greece. And it was, a, yes, it is a sanctuary, a religious sanctuary, but it was also a hospital, effectively. It's the ancient Greek version of a hospital. And people who were ill, even uh, people with no money, rich people, everyone would come to Epidaurus to be healed. And, of course, the famous thing to see there is the ancient theatre, which is probably mm-hmm. the most intact Greek amphitheatre in the world. It's very impressive, yeah. Um, it's mostly so in... Don't they say that acoustically perfect? It is. Um, you can... Yeah, we tried it. You we can we... stand in the bottom and... <laughs> yeah, we were, the, we were the silly tourists down there singing. If you're very lucky, you'll be able to um, time your trip to see an ancient Greek play performed there, which they still do. It's so intact... During the fest, yes. the festival of Epidaurus, I think it runs from, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's in June, July, August. And it's so intact because the Romans, after they conquered Greece, kept using it for the same purposes. They found it excellent mm-hmm. as well. So it has been used mm. all the way from ancient times through to the modern day. 
Um, and that's probably a half day, a long three quarters of a day trip from uh, either Corinth or Nafplion. Nafplion, yeah. It's a, got a, and it's got a very good little museum there too. It does. Actually. And there's a love, the actual modern town of Epidaurus has some lovely little uh, port side restaurants and things. Down, and have a down lunch near at. the water. And uh, which, which is very confusing for travellers because there's signs up everywhere saying Epidaurus, Epidaurus, turn left, Epidaurus, turn right, Epidaurus. And then you end up down at the old town in the, at, at the water. And you're like, hang on a minute, this this is not quite what I was expecting. <laughs> it is a lovely little town, though. <laughs> <laughs> but we we got horribly lost. Yeah. Um. But anyway, it's a very very worthwhile seeing. I yeah, highly recommend it. And one of the many many things you can do when you're in Nafplio. Did you get to Argos? I did not. No, not this time. Not yeah. that far on the other side mm-hmm. of Nafplio. Only really probably thirty or forty minutes. Mm-hmm. And we look, we only raced through and really didn't spend much time, but there's some very impressive uh, castle there and um, mm-hmm. churches and very old, again, very significant. Um, and not to mention, I'm, uh, this has got nothing to do with the archaeology, but just talking about the, the area in general does have some very good beaches, um, some beautiful uh, seaside villages and one of Greece's best wine regions, which is called Nemia. So... You can see why this this part of the world is a place yeah. that we, rec- we recommend very regularly. Uh, what was on your agenda after that? So from there, I did uh-huh. spend I did spend several days in Nafplion, which is just the most lovely town. Yeah, it's very Venetian, but it also like it has the restaurants, it has that kind of peaceful early morning, mm. it has the bougainvillea, mm. it has the cats, it has the architecture, it has and great great food. It even has a decent beach around the back. Great but, food. Um, it's so affordable. Like I'm going there again in May and I can't so believe much given anywhere else. there's been some pretty significant price rises on some of the islands, which I understand given inflation and mm-hmm. the cost of fuel and et cetera. But I can't believe what you get in Nafplio for your money. I mean, a hundred euro gets you something really quite luxurious. Yeah. And it's as good as any of the islands. And I think it's a real missed trick that for a lot of people who are trying to plan a budget holiday to Greece and they look straight away to Santorini and Milos, which are, of course, amazing. <laughs> yeah. But the Peloponnese is right there. Yeah. It's a third of the price. Yeah. It's so easy to get around and see everything. And there's so much to see. I didn't see a friend. And there's hardly any people. I mean, Nafplio can get pretty lively, yep. especially on the weekends. And mo- mostly with... Mm-hmm. It's nothing oh, compared to Mykonos. Not, not even close. And in. mostly with, with people <laughs> from Athens. But, you know, we stood on beaches in, mm-hmm. on the Peloponnese where I could look, look left and right and be lucky if I could find a single person, let alone, yep. you know, umbrellas yep. and, and sunbeds. And, and it's... I would say the Peloponnese is Greece for Greeks. This is where the Greeks will take their summer holidays yeah, rather well, than going yeah. out to the islands. They'll go to some islands too. They'll go to islands like Evia, mm-hmm. uh, which which tourists have never heard mm-hmm. of, um, or, or, or yeah. they go back to where their family's from. I mean, that's first and foremost what, what, yes, what most of them do. Absolutely. But, yes, the yeah. mainland is a world of wonder um, that, you know, so many people mm-hmm. overlook. Okay, so... Um, what happened after that? 
And that, listeners, is where I'm going to end this episode. As you can see, Alona and I got a little bit carried away and it's all taking way longer than we thought. So join us next time. I'm actually going to split this into three episodes and we will now move on to some of the fabulous Greek islands and the, and the rest of the you know, amazing wonders that you can find on them. So stay tuned. See you soon.